0: This podcast audio is from episode 10, The Beauty of Imperfection, from my YouTube channel, Being Happy Anyway with Glenn. Also available on Instagram, Facebook, and the website, beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. To see the visual content featured in this episode, please visit the published episode on beinghappyanywaywithglenn.com. Our lives don't always unfold the way we wish. Our own mistakes, the behavior of others, illness, accidents, even death, present obstacles to our own peace and happiness. I share two paintings done by David Errol Penson, and while I like both, I actually prefer the beauty of the imperfect one a little more. When I opened my private practice, I was an elementary school teacher. I started working in the evenings, and little by little, I built it up until I left teaching and went full-time into private practice. Well, one of my colleagues from the school that I mentioned in Episode 1, Heliotrope Avenue Elementary School, was named David Errol Penson. In addition to being an elementary school teacher, he was a great painter. I learned from him that he put on different art exhibitions throughout Southern California. And I found that interesting and I went to see his work. And the painting behind me was one that I purchased. He just does all different kinds of paintings, but I liked this one with shapes and colors and pretty clean lines. And I purchased it and I put it in my office at the Citadel in the City of Commerce, the first office that I had. And my clients would come in and see it, and I thought it might brighten their life. After a few months, something about it bothered me a little bit. I said, this painting is close to perfect. There's not mistakes in it. The lines and and curves are, are just beautiful. So I went back to him and I said, you know, David, I love your painting, but I was wondering if you could make another painting for me, for my office, because people are imperfect. And I don't want my clients coming into my office and seeing that painting and thinking that I think they're supposed to be as clean and straight or as curved as the painting. So I was wondering if you could paint another one for me where there's a few stops and starts, where there's a mistake here and there, where part of the painting, the paint's a little thicker than the other. And I invited him into my office just to get the feel, to get the vibe, and he came. And then about a month later, he said, Glenn, I think I've got it." And he presented me with the painting behind me. And I immediately loved it. I thought David understood just what I wanted. He kept the beauty and brightness and hope in all those colors. But look at the paint here, how it's real thick and shiny. And then it's sort of matte and over here. I love this line that they got a little weak, they got a little tired here in this part of it. Or how different colors just bleed over. What's the screen doing over here? Look how dark and how light. And what's going on here? Where are those lines? And I replaced the painting because I'm trying to give the message, it's okay to have stops and starts and to be thicker and thinner at different parts, right? We could still be happy, and we can still be beautiful. To me, the trick of life is to adapt. Life obviously is hard, and there are setbacks. Things happen that we don't expect. There is disease and illness. There's untimely death. I like to say we're not always, we don't always die in the order that we were born. And that can be devastating. If we lose a child, we lose anyone at any age. There can be economic downturns, there could be pandemics. We can make bad decisions, which causes pain. Other people can make decisions that cause us pain. Relationships can end. Divorces can happen, but we've all heard that phrase, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. I know it sounds cliche, but I think it's true. And we can learn from every situation and we can be as beautiful and as bright and as lively as the painting behind me. A person that was molested as a child may grow up and be a wonderful protector of children, They may be an advocate, they may be a social worker, and they may help others to break that chain of sexual abuse that may have been in their family for decades. The alcoholic, as they get sober, may help tens of people into sobriety, and they may be able to help them in ways that someone's that's never used before just can't help them. Our weaknesses truly can become our strengths. I think it's important to just keep going, to keep trying, to not hang our head, to celebrate who we are, to say this is who I am, warts and all. I never said I was perfect, but I'm here and I love you and I love me. And let's do the best we can from today forward. About 15 years ago, I had a client who was losing his hair. And one day he came into my office and his head was shaved. And I looked at him and said, hey, you look pretty good. And he said to me, it was a preemptive strike. I thought that was a great line. He said, rather than look in the mirror every day and watch myself losing my hair, I decided to take it all off. Well, that inspired me because I was losing my hair too. And I would look in the mirror every day and think, man, I got a little less hair. My hairline's going higher and higher. Or I'd look at pictures of myself and say, hey, I can tell the difference from a a year ago. And then I decided it's time for me to make a preemptive strike. And I shaved my head and I felt great ever since. I don't know how much hair is underneath there if I let it grow out because I'm not even interested. If you heard episodes two and six, you know that I love baseball and I don't just love to play baseball. I love to watch baseball and read about baseball and travel around the country and go to different baseball stadiums. I have a friend that accompanies me and his name is Steve we have been to 42 Major League Baseball stadiums. Now there's only 30 teams, it's because some teams have rebuilt their baseball stadiums. We have about four stadiums to go and little by little, um, we'll, we'll get that job finished. This is a picture of Steve and I in a minor league stadium. In addition to the major league stadiums, we've also gone to many minor league stadiums. And here we are in Louisville, Kentucky, watching the Louisville bats play. Well, when we were young men in the 1980s, we began our quest to go to every major league stadium. And on our first trip in 1986, we went to 11 baseball stadiums in 17 days. We started in Chicago and ended up in Boston. This is a picture of Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wikipedia says Three Rivers Stadium was similar in design to other stadiums built in the 1960s and 70s, such as RFK Stadium in Washington, Shea Stadium in New York, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, the Houston Astrodome, Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, and Bush Memorial Stadium in St. Louis. They were designed as multi-purpose facilities to maximize efficiency. You can see in the picture to the left that the stadium was also used for football. They were practical, they were exact, they were symmetrical. Look at the next sentence, it's the first one not highlighted. Due to their similar design, these stadiums were nicknamed Cookie Cutter or Concrete Donut ball Parks. Steve and I went to three stadiums in a row that looked like that. We went to Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, and Shea Stadium in New York. We didn't even know what city we were in. We were in that same concrete donut. When we finished our trip, we found ourselves at Fenway Park in Boston, Massachusetts. We loved it. It was different. It was unique. It was not symmetrical, as you can see in the picture. Left field is only 310 feet away. Why was it that way? We later found out that when Fenway Park was built in the early 1900s, it butted up against Lansdowne Street, if you look at Left Field. And so they had to make it shorter. So they built that beautiful green wall and it's now nicknamed the Green Monsters. In later years, they've added some seats at the top. It's unique, they adapted. They had an imperfect space, but they made it work. Steve and I then reflected about our favorite baseball stadiums. We thought of Wrigley Field in Chicago where we started our trip. That stadium also was built in the early 1900s. I think it opened in 1914, two years after Fenway Park. They're the two oldest baseball stadiums. You see, I have circled in blue Some stands, those are stands built at apartment buildings across the street. Wrigley Field was also built in the middle of a neighborhood and you can hit a home run onto a street. There are people outside the stadium with gloves hoping to catch a home run. Steve and I were glad some of these old stadiums were preserved and kept the character of their neighborhoods and of their cities. Here's a picture of Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, Maryland. Steve and I went to this stadium in the 1980s. It's not exactly that concrete donut, but it had very exact symmetrical dimensions. Years later, it was decided that they should have a new baseball stadium. And they thought about it. Do we want something that's perfectly symmetrical? No, they decided, you know what? We want something more like Fenway Park. And look what they came up with. Camden Yards. In right field, there's some sort of a warehouse there. and They just left it there. So right field is shorter than left field. And then team after team decided... Hey, we like these throwback stadiums. We like when they're in the middle of a city and you can tell what city you're in. We're like when the we like when the dimensions don't have to be so perfect. Now look at these examples. This is San Francisco's candlestick park. Boring. No flavor of San Francisco. You don't know what town you're in. You don't know what country you're in. Look what they came up with. Look at Oracle Park. If you're in San Francisco, you're surrounded by water. So now you can hit a home run to right field that lands in McCovey Cove. There are people out there in boats and in kayaks hoping to catch fly balls. That Three River Stadium I told you about in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Look at their new one, PNC Park. No, it's not symmetrical. No, it's not perfect, but it's beautiful and it shows Pittsburgh. I hope that we'll let our beauty shine. Even if we have to show some adaptations, even if we have a bald head, even if we have a wart, even if one ear is bigger than the other and our eyes are a little bit crooked, we can still be beautiful and we can still be happy. Does a desire for perfection stop you from doing what's best? I wanna tell you a little story about when I was a social worker for the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services. That was a very difficult job, but I learned more at that job than any other job. And I take what I learned with me every day in my practice as a marriage and family therapist. The job was impossible. Their expectations of us just could not be met. I had a caseload of 60 kids that were dependent children of the court. In other words, abuse or neglect had been suspected, sort of proven in their home, and I needed to watch over them. The majority of them had been removed from their home and they were placed in a group home, a foster home, or with a relative of their family, you know, a foster home, but a member of their family. And I was responsible to visit each of those children every month and to have an interview with them, to interview their foster parent or caretaker, and to interview and visit their biological mother and biological father. I also was supposed to write court reports that had to be very exact and including exactly on time for the court, and it was just impossible to get everything done. They would, you know, keep track of our statistics so that you could see, you know, what percentage of your kids you visited each month and what percentage of the parents and things like that. But like I told you, it was impossible to get 100 percent. Well, one day, I went to Jack in the Box after work, and I was still wearing a badge right here that said Department of Children and Family Services, Children's Social Worker, too. And the woman that took my order saw the badge and said, oh my gosh, do you work for DCFS? Are you a worker? I said, yes, I am. She says, oh, I have an open case with DCFS. And I was surprised because most people don't scream and shout when their children have been taken away from them. But that's what she said. And I said, oh, okay. I tried to speak in a low voice to encourage her to speak in a low voice to try to help her have some confidentiality. She said, yeah, I have a case open and my kids are with my mom now. And my worker is named—we're—we're going to call her Mary Smith, okay? And my worker is named Mary Smith. Do you know Mary? And I said, yes, I do know Mary. She works in a cubicle right next to me. And uh, she said, oh well, tell her I said hi. I said, okay, I'll tell her you said hi. Well, I thought that was a very peculiar story, sort of a funny story, you know. And I went back to work and I told Mary what had happened. And then Mary said, oh my gosh, Glenn. You saw her. She's the biological mom. I haven't seen her this month. And could you write a 1950? A 1950 is a form, form number 1950, that we would fill out um, to write about face-to-face visits that we had with people. And she said, I want you to write, uh, fill out that form showing that you visited the mother of one of my kids. I said, you know, Mary, I didn't really have a visit with her. I mean, I just talked with her at Jack in the Box in front of a bunch of other people. And she said, yeah, but, you know, we've been told that other workers, if they have a visit with um, someone on our caseload, that that can count as a visit. And I said, well, I know that could count. Like if I was driving out to Ontario, California, and, you know, your one of your clients was next to one of my clients that I could go visit them and help you out, but this, you know, that's not really the case, Mary. You know, I, you know, I don't feel like I was really visiting her. And she said, "Yeah, well, I, I would really like you to do it because you at least saw her." And then I said, "Why? Why is it important to you to get this form filled out?" And she said, "Come here." And so I walked behind, and on her cubicle she had some charts and on her chart, she had these little boxes. And it had, you know, all the kids on her caseload, the biological parents, and the foster parents. <clears throat> and on the biological parents, that month, she had seen everyone except that mother. And she said, if you, if I can mark in this box, I'll have 100% that I saw every parent this month. Well, I felt funny about it, but I gave in to peer pressure and I filled out the form and I gave it to her. But then I went home and I thought about things and I thought, wow, how do I want to be as a social worker? What if I'm presented with a situation where it's the last day of the month and I've seen 59 of the kids on my caseload and let's pretend that I have planned to visit that 60th kid so I can check off that box and get 100% and look good to my supervisor and get the praise from the department. And I'm going to visit this kid, okay? And they're only 15 minutes. They're in East LA right near my office. And I can see that kid and get a perfect score. But what if I get a call and it's a kid from that lives way out in the Inland Empire in Ontario, an hour away from my office. And I get a call that there's a suspicion that there's been some abuse in their foster home. But I already visited that kid. I already checked them off on the box. And the kid that's 15 minutes from my office, even though I didn't see them that month and I wasn't able to fill out the form, I know they're in a stable setting. I've been out there, I had been out there six months in a row previously. They're with their aunt, who's a wonderful person and a safe person. And I know that that child is well. Should I postpone that visit a day to see that child that I really know as well and drive all the way out to Ontario and see this kid where where there's some suspected abuse, even though I've already seen that kid and it's not going to help me in my statistics to drive out there and see them? What should I do? Should I be perfect and see the kid in East LA so I can check off that box and say that I did 60 out of 60? Or should I trust my instinct, drive all the way out there to Ontario and investigate the situation? I decided that for me, I wanna do what's best. I want to feel, I want to do what I feel is right, even if it isn't perfect. As you navigate your life, I hope you find peace and happiness. I hope you don't let your mistakes or other, others' mistakes get you down. I hope you can find a way that you can adapt, that your weaknesses can become your strengths. And the fact that Lansdowne Street in Boston, Massachusetts makes left field be a little bit short, let's build a beautiful green monster and make it one of the greatest baseball stadiums of all time. As we move into the sing-along portion, I chose this little song, it's called I Love You. And it was taken from Can't Take My Eyes Off of You by Frankie Valli. The song became popular from the app TikTok by a a group called Surf Mesa and a singer named Emily. But this version that we're gonna sing along to, this version we're gonna sing along to is a cover by, whoops, Andrew Fong. And he says, featuring my sister Renee. So they covered this song. Why did I choose it? Well, we're talking about adapting. We're talking about pockets of happiness in life. And I just like that somebody took a little piece of a song and made it beautiful. And somebody else covered it and made it beautiful. As his brother and sister sing and play this simple song. I love their rapport. There's a couple of times where they look at each other and smile. No wonder it has 2.4 million views. Sing along with me, please. Mm-hmm. was the other book. <laughs> anyway, I hope that we can em- embrace life even though it's imperfect, even though there's ups and downs, and that we can make those adaptations so that we can be happy anyway. You can find the video version of this podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or on the website beinghappyanywaywithglen.com. This channel does not provide therapeutic advice. It is intended for informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional medical diagnosis or treatment. Please seek advice with licensed therapists in your area.